Hello and welcome to Furloughed, Divining Moments Worth Talking About. I'm your host, Leonard Cochran, and of course, Steve Otterstrom is with me today. And Steve, it has been a week here. Uh, we're recording this on the 4th of July holiday week, so it's a four-day work week for us. And uh, we received notification we will be returning to the office before long. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, so it's kind of an interesting dynamic doing... Uh, as our listeners know, we focus oftentimes on mental health or at least talk to it as a part of our program. And uh, so it's kind of intriguing uh, to think about going back to the office and the sensitivity of everyone else and how I feel and all of that. And so it's an interesting emotional experience I was not quite anticipating. <laughs> so now you have been back to the office or you are, are going No, no. Back. We, they've sent out the communication inviting us back. Oh, so okay. I have not been back yet at all. Um, and so, and just for listener context, and you're, you're, you're not down the road from me either, you know, Memphis area, and, you know, I'm in North Mississippi, just outside of Memphis. Um, we've been probably more relaxed than a lot of places in the nation because statistically only 30% or 33% of Mississippians have the first COVID shot. Um, and so it's, you know, around here, we've sort of been living a normal life for quite a while other than occasionally, you know, there's some stores still that require masks, but even that's mandates been dropped. And so thinking of going back to the office, I don't know if everybody in the office will be as relaxed as what the rest of Mississippi is, or if there's going to be a lot of tension with wearing masks and things like that. And I recognize school children and we'll be going through the same apprehension here in just a couple months as well. So kind of interesting to be a part of that instead of being on the outside watching it happen. <laughs> oh, it, it is interesting. And actually, even you just bringing that up reminded me of a conversation I had yesterday with uh, my wife, Elizabeth, and talking about where we were a year ago. And, mm -hmm. you know, at that point, you and I had, uh, I think, I might be getting the dates wrong, but we were, we were both deep into our furlough that we'd been put on yes. with the company that we were working for. I hadn't been laid off yet. Yeah. I think at that point, but it was, we were, we were anxiously anticipating news as to what was going to happen because the world had not changed. Uh, we had COVID had not been fixed in the, in the two weeks that we were led to believe it might be fixed in. Yes. Um, and uh, there had not been that uh, Easter miracle or all those other things that had been said. Uh, in fact, the situation was only becoming worse and more dire. And I think uh, both of us were, were looking at the world around us and thinking we might not be employed uh, very soon. And it's, it's interesting to think of just everything that has happened. In fact, that's why we started this podcast. If somebody listening to this, you know, didn't listen from the beginning, uh, which would make sense. <laughs> but mm -hmm. if you didn't listen from back then, you know, we started this because we had been placed on furlough and uh, we had talked about having a, a podcast that would, um, would be about change, about those moments that happen that cause us to actually be different people. And we never got around to it until furlough hit and we had been furloughed. And then all of a sudden the, you know, the Monday that we would have been going to work, we did this very first podcast. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's interesting to think about it from this perspective that even there, there's so many different layers to the, our experience that we've had over these last few years. I imagine going back to the office, will be very strange, especially 
it will make it real how many people are not coming back to the office. Yeah. And and what adds another layer of strangeness just to throw in there too. Personally, I know more people that have gotten COVID in 2021 than I did in 2020. And yeah. so, you know, 2020 was just this huge long vacation and watching the <laughs> horror on the news and 2021 we're not talking about it, but I know more people that have gotten it personally. So it, it's just a really, yeah. really strange thing. So uh, I, I well, know for myself. Even your own I'm, bout with COVID was in 2021, wasn't it? It, it was indeed. Yeah. 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 All, all seven in my household at different times. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I'm, I'm, geez, I'm, I'm like wishing it was three years from now and this is all behind. This is where I am. That's, that's in a nutshell how I feel. So I'm Anyhow. all for that. Uh, you know, let's, <laughs> let's see if we can turn up the, the speed a little bit. Well, that'll just make me older too. So that's, that's not maybe the that's plan. That's true. And I, and, and if any, you know, if, if, past results are an indicator of what will happen in the future i'll also be a lot heavier three years from now so maybe maybe i need to yes. enjoy the moment that i'm in right now well enough about all that i i, <laughs> yes. I think i think we have somebody here that is uh, going to be a guest today don't we <laughs> we sure do and i'm really excited <laughs> to introduce you to her so we have actually my sister-in-law um she married my younger brother and when she did, uh, something amazing happened in the family. We actually increased um, our IQ, and this is a family of like eight people, but I think, you know, four or five times. <laughs> because, you know, my, my, my brother, uh, who Amanda married, he was, he was kind of a, the smart kid in the family. I mean, not that we don't have other smart people in the family, but he could do things like math. Um, and, uh, he, he could see how numbers were related to one another and, um, things that just never made any sense to me. And, and so it didn't surprise us all when he brought home our very own mathematician. So if you have a math question, you can always reach out to Amanda. She's got the answer. Um, but really the reason we're bringing Amanda on here, not because of her math abilities, uh, we're, we're not going to try and uncover <laughs> the secrets of, algorithms, which uh, from my understanding, algorithm is what you say when you don't understand how math does something. You say there's an algorithm involved. <laughs> Maybe. I, I, I thought that was uh, something to do with search engines. Yeah, that too. Yeah. <laughs> if, <laughs> if, much if, math if, I know, right? If there's some magic that happens on the back end and it's mechanical or mathematical, then it's an algorithm. I think ah, this is the go. scientific... Um, definition behind it of course maybe maybe amanda is hearing this and saying i can't do this podcast with these two people anymore um but uh the reason we're bringing amanda on is because she's had a unique experience um specifically becoming a mathematician and a um a, what do you call a physics person it's not a physician they, that's the person who checks the mole on your backside um a, i would have to have physicist. Amanda answer that there is we that go <laughs> Okay. <laughs> not a, not a physician. It's a physicist. There ah. we go. And then becoming a physicist, and and specifically the challenges that exist for women moving into science. And you know, everyone has their own experiences, their own um, challenges in different areas. Especially where um, Amanda came from, and and I grew up in Utah as well, and and in rural communities, sometimes it's even more challenging in smaller communities for women to be taken seriously 
as uh, future scientists and, and uh, not as physicians, physicists, <laughs> maybe <laughs> physicians too. We'll bring, we'll bring them on another day. But um, with that, Amanda, I'd like to bring you into the conversation and first off, welcome you to the podcast. And maybe you can tell us a little bit about, about you and, and how did you discover that you like smart things? Hi, thank you. Um, I'm really excited to be here. Um, and yes, um, I have loved math for a very long time. Um, I remember in kindergarten, um, my teacher gave me my very first math worksheet and it was love at first sight. I loved it. Like I was so interested in doing my math that I didn't notice when the teacher excused the class to go to recess. I didn't notice when my classmates got up and left the room. <laughs> and I have no idea how long I was in that room alone because I was just doing math and I loved it. Well, I've, I've found myself in a similar position of taking that long to do my math, but not necessarily because I loved it, Amanda. <laughs> well, and, and, and this, this love of math, I mean, is, is this something that continued to grow from kindergarten? Or, or could you even, what is it about math? I mean, why, what makes somebody love math? I think what I loved about math was I, I don't know. I just kind of zoned out and into the math and it was meditative for me. And, um, so it made me feel really good. Um, in kindergarten, when my teacher finally found me, um, doing my math instead of being in recess, she helped me identify as a math person. She, she basically told me that I loved math. And that has been so helpful for me because um, math was not something that I was really like encouraged to like. The, the um, expectation is that you don't like math. <laughs> so it was really nice for me to have this experience so early that to know that I love math. And is this something that your parents identified quickly with as well? Um, was it was there familial support and in, in wanting to kind of math? And I know eventually you move into the science as well. But was it was this something that that you felt in your home life, or was this still kind of a a, a lone journey? Yeah, it was a lone journey. My parents were, um, I guess, doing other things. They weren't really interested in my education. Mm -hmm. And I, and I'm curious, Amanda, especially since you sort of discovered this at such a young age. And mind you, kindergarten's been a few years back there for me. But I, I know that <laughs> I I remember math more so um, once we started to focus on multiplication, like third grade or somewhere in there. So I'm I'm a little curious as to uh, uh, what type of math did you get involved in early on? I mean, I'm, I would assume just simple addition, but were you able to just figure it out yourself or, or did you have some help and then just build on the help that you had? Um, I, what I did, I actually struggled with math at some points. Everything new that I learned, it was a struggle, but I knew how to go to the book and figure it out. I guess I was really good at um, deciphering the patterns and applying the math concepts to new problems. 
and and then and then uh, as you as you kind of grew through school and you went through you know you made it into high school and um and i know there was a there was a point uh that you became interested in in physics yes pretty much as soon as i learned what physics was i knew that i was interested um physics uses math to describe processes in the universe and that just sounds so exciting to me i yes i just loved it as soon as i knew that it existed (laughs) (laughs) which is which is so interesting because um and you you probably know this better than i and maybe you can correct me if i've got this wrong but my understanding is that like the really early mathematicians um you know looking back to like plato socrates times you know that they were actually viewed as almost like a type of philosophy that that math was trying to explain the universe and people looked at that and thought well that is really kind of a silly thing that you can take numbers and now that they add up in the right way and now you understand the universe and i think what's interesting is so many of those other philosophies that that explained the universe back then um are long gone (laughs) But yet math has continued to be one of these areas and we taking it to this whole other, whole other level of explaining the world around us. So it's, it's interesting. Do you, do you feel like there is maybe a, a kind of a, a transcendent connection that you have with math? Um, I, 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 just kind of bringing that out be, because of your comment about it, under, you know, explaining how things work around us and in the universe. I think that I've always really wanted to, like I've, I was always curious about how things work and I still am curious and it is, um, it is conceptual. It is a philosophy kind of level. Um, and if you do look at other physicists, they do seem to, um, like just view the whole like all of their experiences, they apply these science ideas to their regular life. And yes, I think that math and science are very interconnected. And in fact, I feel like the higher I went up in college, that was where I was like, I need to stop with the science because the math just had to be there eventually at some point. Um, yes. Now, now you, you, you talked about the kind of doing this a little bit alone. You, you, you didn't necessarily have the, the home support saying, you know, Amanda, we, we love that you're great at math. We'd love to see you succeed in this area. In, in the school environment, this is, of course, what we would expect it to be. You, you had your kindergarten teacher. Did you have anybody else that, that at some point just said, Amanda, you go girl. (laughs) You know, I did have, it work the other way? <laughs> yeah, it actually worked the other way. I was very much um, discouraged. So um, throughout my high school career, I wanted to take physics, and I kept um, getting discouraged from pursuing it. So <clears throat> it, when I was a freshman, I asked to take physics, and there was a prerequisite, so I was not allowed to. I hadn't taken the class yet. The next year, I again wanted to take physics, but my counselor, um, she encouraged me to take biology because the teacher was a really good teacher and she thought that I could do it. So I didn't even 
I wasn't even asked what kind of science I wanted to take. And so mm -hmm. I did that. I did biology. And there were only two requirements for science. So I took science my freshman year, and then I took biology. And so now science wasn't required for me. So <laughs> I again asked to take physics my senior year. And my counselor refused to enroll me in the class. He told me that physics was too hard for me and he made me pick another class. And the sad thing about this too is I actually believed him. I thought that physics was probably too hard for me. And that experience, um, it stopped me from pursuing physics even in college. So I really did believe that maybe physics was too hard for me. Um, yeah. When he said physics was too hard for you and, and you talk about believing it, any idea why he felt physics would be too hard? I mean, my understanding is your math um, grades were good enough that obviously they had a physics class, so other people were taking it. What was it about you that made him think that physics was going to be too difficult? Yes, during this um, experience, he actually did look up to see if I met the prerequisites. And he said, he told me my math was good. That was not why he wasn't going to let me into this class. Um, looking back on it now, I know it is because I only needed an elective credit. So he wanted me to take an easy class, something that I would pass that wouldn't be hard so that I could graduate high school. Hmm. It wasn't about the physics necessarily or my abilities, but that is the message that I got. Well, and, and I, I wonder, and, and you know, <laughs> I, I didn't grow up in the same uh, small town, but I did grow up in a similar community with similar views. And um, I feel like if you had been a man going in asking for that, if you'd been one of the boys in high school, that maybe things would have been different. Am I, am I seeing something that's not there or, or do you, do you feel that is potentially the, the reason? Yeah, I think that that is a major part of the reason. I grew up um, being taught that my goal in life should be to be a stay-at-home mother. That was what I was encouraged to do. Um, I wasn't ever um, encouraged to think about a career at all. Um so, yeah, even though I liked physics, I was never encouraged to, like, pursue it to get money. It was always a, when I pursued physics, finally, because I did get a bachelor's degree in physics, it was all viewed as almost a fun thing for me to do. Um, before I got to my real work in life, which was to be a stay-at-home mom. Wow. Well, 
for what it's worth, I never used physics. <laughs> no, I, I never even had a physics class. And it, it, it is interesting, too. I, I just kind of, uh, I know this doesn't help what we're talking about to a large degree, but in my high school, we could take whatever we wanted so long as we were eligible. And so our counselors maybe would advise, but uh, it was never a situation where they would ever stop us unless we just didn't meet requirements. So even even that's a little bit unique from my perspective of things. Well, and Leonard, I, I, I wonder too, though, I mean, I bet if I went back and I talked to the uh, the high school counselor in, in Stockton, Utah, they would have said the same thing. I think they would have yeah. they, they would have said, "Oh no, you can take any class that you want." And I think this is the the nature of of systemic discrimination, is that on paper it doesn't exist. In reality, it clearly does. Yeah. That um, and 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 now one of the things I think that's really great about so you you did go on and you did become. Not a physician, <laughs> yes. a physicist. <laughs> you did go on to become a physicist. Tell us about how that happened. What was your journey to get there? Because one of the things I'm really excited to get to is what you are currently working on uh, to help other people in a similar situation find a way to to realize their scientific potential, especially women uh, who, as much as we may want to say that we have we've overcome this, I know you have. Uh, shared some statistics with me that show that we are not anywhere close to having overcome uh, that difference. So I'd be really curious to hear um, your yes. thoughts. Um, yes. Yeah, so my story, um, I was not ever encouraged to go to college. I had a teacher my senior year that suggested if I did not have a plan, I should consider going to college. So I decided that I don't have a plan, so I will go to college. Luckily, he followed up with me and also let me know that I actually have to apply to get into college, which was something I didn't know. <laughs> so I ended up applying and I went to a junior college mm -hmm. and I got my associate's degree. And when I was done with that, I decided to keep on going. Um, but I, like I said, um, I did not pursue physics at this time and I kept changing my major often. So my third year of college, um, my dad actually talked me into dropping out of school and getting a job, which I did. And I hated it. It was miserable. I did not feel like I was pursuing my best life. And so I decided that I was going to try out physics because it was something that I just wanted. I've always wanted to do it. So I decided that I transferred to a different school that had a good physics program and I majored in physics and I got through it. I graduated. How did that feel? I mean, was there a bit of, um, you know, I mean, I'm sure that that's, that's a, this is a success story, but on the same note, I almost feel like I would be angry <laughs> in learning that you could have done this all along. Well, I never thought of it that way. I, um, my pursuits of physics has always been, um, 
I'm a rebel. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> supposed to be there. Um, in my physics classes, I was usually only one of two girls. And my graduating class, I believe there were five girls. Um, yeah. So, and I mean, out of like a hundred guys that graduated in physics, like it's a very small percentage of women that, that do pursue physics and get a degree. And Amanda, I'm curious, since that really became kind of your, your first big exposure to physics, how, how did that compare to math as far as the ease of learning or the ease of, uh, passing those tests and things? Was it, was it more challenging or about the same, or is there really much comparison there for you? So I loved the challenge. Mm -hmm. So yes, it was challenging. And I remember filling up like whole chalkboards full of these physics problems and their multiple um, levels of, of uh, math. And you have to understand the system and really get into it. I just, I loved it though. That was a draw to me. Yeah. Well, I know I can actually share <laughs> similar in, in math for me. Math is never anything that particularly came easy. It was, it was a, a challenge for me, but I was capable of it. And so math has always been hard enough for me to uh, have to work at it but I could accomplish it. So it was very fulfilling. And, and, and maybe that's how you initially felt about physics there too, then possibly. Yes, I could. I would spend like an hour or so on one problem and it was very intense and I just really loved it. I would just escape into my physics problem and it was just, it was like rejuvenating for me. That's, that's incredible. And, and, and it's, it's, it's amazing from this perspective of, you know, this was something that supposedly you couldn't do and, and now you're doing it and you, you've got a, a, your bachelor's degree in physics. And, and then I want to hear that the story from here on out was you, you applied for jobs and, and they said, yes, we want to take you in. Or did you find more doors just <laughs> closed well, along the way? I, I mean, you think that, especially in this world if we want to be diverse that, uh, you know, you're one of two <laughs> women graduating. How is the world of, of those that hire people with physics degrees? Have they, have they seen past? Are they still like your high school counselor? So I think we missed a part of the story cause I want to kind of go back yeah. when I, um, was taking physics and was earning my bachelor's degree. That's when I met um, Joseph, which is Stephen's brother, mm -hmm. and we got married. Um, the expectation for me at that point was to have kids because my whole life, I was expected to be a stay-at-home mom. And this was the first obstacle I had to really be strong about that I can't have kids until after I get my bachelor's degree. So that was a fight that I had to make. And I wasn't even supported in that very much. There was always questions that we got as to why we didn't have kids yet. And, and, I, and I feel like for, for some people who are maybe listening to this, who have never 
lived in this uh, Utah environment uh, and pre predominantly Mormon environment. There, this this is an expectation, and you might find an exception to it, but uh, the ex the expectation is if you're married, you should be having children, and, and if not, you you are doing something that is borderline sinful. Yes. And that is what I felt at that time. But I kept doing it because I knew from my previous experience that I wasn't going to feel fulfilled unless I did pursue this. Mm -hmm. So after I got done getting my bachelor's degree, there was a very, I felt a huge pressure to stop playing. I was done with physics, right? And start to do my actual work, which was to be a stay-at-home mom. Hmm. But I did interview and I did not, um, I was not encouraged in that way. I remember an interview that I had that the guy interviewing me, he was an older gentleman and he didn't he didn't understand my physics degree like he couldn't he couldn't imagine that it actually made me qualified for the work mm. um and i imagine that it is because of his cultural views like what he understands what he learned from society um it's really hard to, for people to view women as scientists. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot yeah. of my research right now is in um, cultural norms and how they prevent women from pursuing science. Hmm. Well, and that, let's so let's go into that because you, it, it, it almost is the end of your physics story, if I'm understanding this right. That, you, you have gone back to school and uh, for a master's degree. And, yes. And that master's degree is in education, correct? Yes, it is in education. And, and, and you're looking at this now from the perspective of, well, I'm not, I don't want to say what you're looking at as. What are you looking at it from? Um, <laughs> yes, tell us, Steve. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, um, yes. So um, for my master's degree, I am required to do a thesis. And um, oh, gosh. What do, how, I don't know how I want to start. Hold on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's okay. Don't worry. This is why we record it. You can edit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Leonard is writing down the time right now. Exactly. Sorry. Um, okay. As I'm starting into my thesis project, I'm still feeling very much on the outside of this physics community. I do have my bachelor's degree, but I don't feel like I belong. I, it's really hard for me to actually say I am a physicist um, because I haven't had a job being a physicist. I haven't been paid. I haven't even been a teacher of physics yet. So I feel like I'm on the outside, but I love, love physics and science. And I wanted to provide an opportunity 
for others to get interested and do science. So for my project, I decided to make a curriculum for babysitters to do science while they're working. I think that this will be, okay, it's outside of school. So the girls that would be doing this won't have the pressures that they face in school. So they don't have to look cool or anything. Um, they will just be doing science when they're working with young, with the young children that they watch. And what, what do you think would have been the, like, if you had had this? Because I know, I know one of the reasons you, you decided to go this route is because you did a lot of babysitting through high school. That's, that's how you earned your money. Yes. What, what through, would have been the yeah. effect on you? Um, I think that it would have let me grow um, in my uh, confidence in science. It would let me um, understand these science, like the science process, the process of doing science is my focus. Um, that actually brings up another point in my research. A lot of times people think of science as a set of facts. That's how we've in the past done science in school. Um, I'm approaching science as a process. This is how we build knowledge. Um, so I'm focusing on the practices that scientists do when they're doing science. And, and Amanda, just to kind of help wrap our minds around things a little, and I, I, you don't have to expose everything if you don't want, but um, to me, physics, um, when I think of physics, I know it's used in computer games or motion or evil can evil jumping trucks or whatever the case is. So how, how would one as a babysitter apply or use physics in that setting without burning down the house or doing something crazy? Or throwing the baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How long does it take the baby to land on its head or, you know? <laughs> so I'm just curious of what type of activities or, or how that would be introduced, just if you can give us at least a sneak peek there. So I'm actually not going to focus on physics. I'm going to focus on science generally. So gotcha. science as a process. Okay. So I'm going to be teaching um, kids about things like asking questions and defining problems. And my goal here is that like a 12-year-old girl could do science with a toddler. So this is going to be very introductory and something that anybody could do. Even a toddler could participate. <laughs> so in order to do this, what I've done, like with asking questions, I have tied that with this character trait of being curious. Um, so I think that it will be easier for the babysitter to talk about curiosity with this toddler and get them very connected with their wonder about the world and then encourage the asking of questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I wonder, is part of this like, I mean, I think of little Amanda in kindergarten sitting there with the mass sheet. Mm -hmm. is, is, is it two parts? Is it, is it there to 
help the person who may be a um, young woman, or I guess it could be a young man too. I mean, yes. anyone could use this curriculum. Yes. Um, uh, is it, is it, you know, it's there to help them unlock their scientific potential, but could that also be something that would help little Amanda in kindergarten <laughs> as well? Oh, yes. I would have loved to do this when I was in kindergarten. Yes. When the, the beautiful thing, too, when you talk about curiosity with it is, I mean, curiosity is something we need in every area of our life. And so e even just working through some of that, there's no telling what the end results could be from sort of mm -hmm. teaching kids at a young age to um, process that way and walk walk through it, whether, whether it, they land in a scientific process or just the fact it opens the doors to other questions they may ask. Mm -hmm. Yes, I really want to create this curriculum so that kids will understand that science is actually um, just how we make sense of what is already there. The world as it is, is science. And our process of describing the world as it is, that is what we call science. So it's a mm -hmm. process of building knowledge. So um, my, my, t uh, my take on things like using math and computational thinking, um, I decided to tie that with the character trait of being precise. Mm. So um, when the babysitter talks about math, then with a toddler, they can talk about precision instead of um, mathematics and adding and subtracting, which they can do as well. But it's different to have a conversation about precision and actually see that there is math in everyday life. Yeah, no, that that makes great sense, Amanda. Uh, I know um, <laughs> with my own children in math, uh, my son in particular, it was a matter of, you know, you're going to one day need this. And it, it, it's about the application, I guess, is where I'm going. And so, you know, it, you're going to one day need this because you're going to get a paycheck and you're going to want to make sure that you got paid everything that you were due. And that is that precision you're talking about, right? So if we can relate things uh, to something that we already understand, we can build on that. And so I, some solid principles there. Yes, my son also hates math. And I had this conversation with him about, um, I asked him how he is precise in his daily life. And his immediate response was to scream, no, I am never precise ever. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then we kept talking about it and I, I suggested, well, you're precise when you are making cookies because you have to measure out the ingredients and that takes some form of precision. And so we started talking and he brought up that video games require him to be precise, which mm. is true. Um, and then also he got into his art and how precision can help him um, get his art right and specifically with perspectives. Yeah. Yeah. 
So it sounds like this is actually like like maybe Leonard and I need to be back <laughs> you a couple of times <laughs> because you're really changing my perspective on math entirely, you know, in looking at it from this perspective of it being precision, uh, and and it and it's making me think of all the different places that uh, that I am precise and where that precision is so incredibly important. Uh, specifically yes. in my use of money, probably. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> and so, uh, so Amanda, do you see this as being kind of a flashcard type driven thing then with posing questions and that type of thing? Or have you really kind of gone that far down yeah. the road yet? If you do get an opportunity to to babysit Leonard and I, what can <laughs> yes. we expect? Yes, what can we expect? <laughs> exactly. And we will set the bar low for you. <laughs> Yeah, or maybe you should set the bar low on or, or, really, yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever maybe you would do you for a toddler, <laughs> yes. bring it down another level for Leonard and I. And, and Leonard may travel again, so this this could really happen. What could we expect if we get to be babysat by you? Um, well, I am still in the middle of this project, and I haven't actually made the um, curriculum yet. Um, it's It's a process of me, and I've definitely thought of the angle of um, kind of like a recipe card, you know, like mm -hmm. you pull something or like a deck of cards, like you would pull something out of the deck and you do what it suggests. Yeah. Um, so it's really wide open for me right now. Um, I do have the underlying, um, how my curriculum is going to look is there's eight science practices. This was, um, the result of research done by the National Research Council, and it informs all of science education right now. Hmm. Hmm. So I tied each of those eight practices with a character trait. So you can explore things like how you are precise and curious. Um, I also have creative. <clears throat> I use creative with developing and using models. I use purposeful with planning and carrying out an investigation. Um, these character traits, I think, is just going to make it more accessible to younger, younger kids, but also people who don't like science. It will become more accessible mm -hmm. to them, mm -hmm. too. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's great. Um, you've got my wheels turning now. <laughs> Well, just, just to funny. think about science from that perspective of character traits, I, oh, can, absolutely. I can tell you I've never thought about it in that way ever. <laughs> that, yeah. that science I've always seen as a list of rules, not as characteristics. And uh, so you're kind of blowing my mind a little bit here. And, and, and I'm not even being babysat right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it really is funny that kind of like you mentioned, Steve, I know what comes to my mind now as we're beginning to really unpack this is uh, somewhere around junior high age, seventh grade, eighth grade or so, you know, we, we made a battery, you know, so you rolled up a piece of paper and a piece of lead and you stuck it in salt water or some kind of something or another, and it made a battery and you made this thing move across the floor with it. Um, but to do the whole process, they forced us to use the scientific method of asking questions and all. And it, it, it never made sense to me because we had a recipe we could follow to do this thing. And we had to ask these questions that made no sense whatsoever. But if we didn't know 
the battery was going to work and what the battery was going to do, that's where those questions would be important. And so what I see you doing, Amanda, is you're just, again, like curiosity, uh, creative, purposeful, precision. Those are things I can wrap my mind around. And now once I learn those, then I can better apply it to other areas rather than being forced to shoehorn and what do you think will happen when you add water, you know, or that kind of thing. So it makes, I I, I love it. It's, it's very foundational and it's, again, it's something that can carry over into other areas as well. Yes. And this actually points out the struggle that teachers have in science to teach the science practice is that they have a goal in mind. Yes. And it's really hard to actually um, follow a child's curiosity if you need to get to a destination, Um, Mm -hmm. which is the brilliance of being outside of school in the babysitting realm that I don't need to, I don't have a goal. Uh, My goal is to give them the process and give them the, I want to empower them to use science however they can imagine. Yeah. That's that's beautiful. I, I, and well said, too, because you're right. Because in the end, yes, they wanted us to make a battery. They wanted that battery to work. And so they, as much as they could, kind of like a bowling alley, putting guardrails on. So we were doing the process, quote unquote, air quotes there. Uh, we were doing the process, but we had such limitations to us that it had to force us to a specific end. And where you're talking of, of you're opening Pandora's box of science now, where yes. <laughs> I can I can let my imagination soar, and I may lack a strength in one of those eight areas, but maybe there's a couple of them that just really jazz me. So that might would condition me or help condition me to be better in one area of science than another perhaps or one area of life versus another for that matter i guess you know yeah well even if you take the purposeful character trait um with planning and carrying out an investigation Mm -hmm. i i think that it's intimidating for kids to think oh i'm going to investigate this now um this question that I had that I'm curious about. But if you can say, I'm going to act with purpose now about my curiosity, and I'm going to actually look for things in the world that will help inform my curiosity. I feel like that will open up, like why we are investigating. Why would we want to collect data then? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like, um, you know, when I first learned the scientific method, even then I felt like, well, how hard, how, how can this work? Because the only way that you, you get the scientific method to work is if you can test it. And if you don't know what to test or if you don't have the hypothesis, that was kind of, the, the, I think, the key for me is yeah. you're, you, really the whole idea of how, the way I had understood the scientific method growing up was you have to you have to have a hunch, an idea of what the answer is. And until you have that, you really can't do anything with science. Where really, I guess what I'm hearing is that there's all these other characteristics that potentially could allow you just to absorb it or to observe it or to act with purpose and say, this is an area of curiosity I have. I don't have any idea where I'm headed, but this is that area of curiosity. I find that very interesting, very liberating, really. 
Yeah, I'm actually, um, I'm planning on suggesting um, to be more creative when you first like make a hypothesis. Um, I think that a lot of scientists, a lot of older scientists get into trouble when they come up with an idea of how they can explain something. And it's rare that our first ideas are true. So I think I'm going to ask, especially with toddlers, that you just create a story to explain your question that is not true, that you know is not true, but will allow you to have that relationship still with the question and still um, just observe it as you're living. Hmm. Well, and then, then you don't feel like you know, wow, what if I'm wrong? It's, I'll I find actually out how have I'm a wrong. story yeah. um, <laughs> uh, with my youngest daughter. Um, her hair would get tangled, like really crazy tangles. Um, and I, my hair is straight and it doesn't tangle. So this is new to me. I have no idea how to deal with these tangles. So I asked the question, why is your hair tingling? And at the time, Tinkerbell was new and we loved it. So we came up with the story that it is a knot tying fairy that absolutely loves my daughter's hair. And she is the one that's coming and tying knots in her hair all the time. And she just loves my daughter's hair. So Every time when I'm brushing your hair, then I'm saying, oh, it's that naughty fairy <laughs> tying knots <laughs> in your hair again. Nice. Um, and we talked about this story for years. And then one day, my daughter comes back to me and she's like, mom, there is no such thing as fairies. <laughs> oh, no, and when a fairy I, died right then. <laughs> I know. I was so bummed. Um but I kept my wits about me and I'm like, if there's no such thing as fairies, then how are knots being tied in your hair? <laughs> <laughs> and she was ready for me. She's like, mom, I think the knots are tied in my hair when I move my head on the sofa like this. And she demonstrates it for me. So she is making an argument based on evidence right there. She's like, seven maybe <laughs> mm -hmm. to prove to me that there's no such thing as fairies and there's a, a real reason why her hair gets tied in knots <laughs> so what an incredible way of learning the thought process too and i you know because you're you're so right i mean if if you hadn't have entertained the false narrative that that she could you know understand the world in that way for so long she wouldn't have been able to say you know what sometimes our ideas are wrong sometimes what we thought was incorrect i think in so much in science and even in life in general we're not usually trained well to give up on the on our beliefs or on what we thought was true but yet if we were to learn how to do that early on if we were to understand that our first hypothesis is generally going to be false we would see the world completely different yeah. Yeah. It really sets up the idea of uh, fail early and uh, 
you'll be better off, I guess. Uh, when you <laughs> mention it that way, Steve, is what comes to mind. So Yeah, well, and, and fail early and recognize that you will. Well, that's I, true. It, that, <laughs> it is important uh, you recognize it. <laughs> because oftentimes what we do is we spend our whole life saying, no, there are, my hair is getting tied in knots. There are fairies. And yeah. just to be clear, Upwards Unlimited, our sponsor, still believes in fairies. Okay, so <laughs> any anybody listening, at, you know, who who may hold that persuasion, realize that Amanda does not speak, or Amanda's daughter does not speak for for Upwards Unlimited. <laughs> there you go. Well, this has been um, extremely eye-opening for me, and I, I would love to talk about this longer, and hopefully we get an opportunity sometime in the future, maybe maybe when everything's all done and the curriculum's ready, we can have another another chat and, and hear more about it. Uh, oh, that would be wonderful. Maybe showcase it a, a little more, so something we can all look forward to. Um, now, you had mentioned the eight practices. Do you, do you happen to have all eight of those? You could just do a quick like give us give us all of those words because Leonard really likes to make lists and I might yes. like it have it as well. Yes. So the practices, um, I'll I'll give it with my character traits too. So okay, perfect. Asking questions and defining problems is curious. Developing and using models is creative. Planning and carrying out investigations is purposeful. Analyzing and interpreting data is clarifying. Using mathematics and computational thinking is precise. Constructing explanations and designing solutions is expressive. Engaging in argument from evidence is logical. Obtaining an Oh, wait. Yeah. Obtaining, evaluating, and communicating information is comprehensive. Very interesting. Yes. New, a new way to look at science. Yes, go ahead. Some of those definitions, I've gone through and defined the character traits so that they would relate to a younger audience, too. Because um, if you look up logical in the dictionary, it's very involved and intense. Um, and I have defined logical as, um, oh, I thought I had it right in front of me and I don't, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you define it as something different. <laughs> yeah. <Yes>. Uh, <laughs> sorry. What is okay. the logical path for when you can't find something? <laughs> All right. Well, I found it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, I defined logic as a clear thought process from evidence to explanation. Mm -hmm. So I tie it back to analyzing and interpreting data when I say clear, because I use clarifying to describe analyzing things. Mm -hmm. um, and just to think about the thought process that we take between what we can see in evidence. So evidence is things that you can measure, you can see directly, it is real in the world. And then the explanation. Uh, typically in science, we only hear the explanation or the argument. Um, but then the logic would be how those two are connected. How is it that we get from the evidence to the explanation? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a simple, it is more simple definition yeah. um, than what I could 
found online. And much more user friendly, much more usable. Even even as I think about you know what it is, that's that's a a definition I could do more with <laughs> than mm-hmm. you know coming up with um, you know challenging lines of thought. So, well, Amanda, we have really enjoyed having you with us, and yeah. and and do look forward to seeing uh, what your curriculum looks like when it's complete, um, and. Uh, Hopefully, when when that happens, you'd be willing to come back and and tell us or showcase the the curriculum Mm -hmm. for us. Um, You don't have to babysit us for that to happen. (laughs) We'll we'll, we'll let you give us a higher level overview. Um, However, you know, maybe maybe it sounds fun enough. Maybe we'll we'll want you to do it that way as well. (laughs) Yes, I would love to do that. Thank you for having me here today. Yeah, and it's been a while since I've paid anyone $2 an hour to uh, watch my child. So, oh, I'm, 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 Leonard, I don't know how to tell you I don't you know this. that I've ever done it Price, for my own prices child. Prices have gone way up since, since yeah, then. That's, that's what I used to make was 2 bucks an hour. So yeah. I'm dating myself severely bad. Luckily, my kids are old enough to watch themselves. But, uh, you know, <laughs> yes. I'm not sure babysitters uh, <laughs> can... can um, I'm not sure young couples can avoid can afford babysitters anymore now that uh, prices yeah. have increased, and and yeah. now they come with uh, fancy curriculum. Yeah, well, Amanda, good stuff. I I really appreciate the fact of the work you've put into it already, and like Steve says, I'm 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 anxious to kind of find out what that end result is going to be, and uh, uh, I I certainly wish you great success with it. Just again making those concepts a little more simplified just opens up an entire world. And uh, so I really think you're on to something here and uh, wish you the best on that. Thank you. So with that, uh, we'll go ahead and close out our podcast today. Certainly if you've got any questions for Amanda, you can email Stephen and myself at furloughedmailbox at gmail.com. And we'll be glad to pass those questions on to her. And if you have any other thoughts about science and want to share a science story with us, as long as it's simple enough for us to understand, feel free to do that. (laughs) And with that, I'll go ahead and wrap up and thank our sponsor and be precise about doing so. Upwards Unlimited is our sponsor each and every week here on our podcast. So that's Upwards, W-O-R-D-S, unlimited.com, upwardsunlimited.com. And ultimately, they're a learning development company that helps you, your teams, or your companies improve your conversations, connections, collaboration, and community. So with that, we'll say goodbye, folks, until the next time we see you on our podcast. Bye-bye now.